It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Boring. It's brought to you by Blake, the attorney, Mazlin. We are less than three weeks away from the start of Bengals training camp. As we record this podcast, the Reds are hours away from trying to complete a sweep of the Washington Nationals. We found out why Elliot De La Cruz hits home runs because of a knob at the end of his bat. Um, so we've got some stuff to get to. We're a little light this week. It's it's really kind of Red-centric. Um, we can maybe talk a little bit about Spencer Steer being snubbed for the All-Star game and much, much more. Uh, but, Rick, i got to tell you, first and foremost, I went to my first FC Cincinnati game on Saturday. What did you think? It. I enjoyed it. It's kind of a little bit light. It reminds me a little of hockey. That it's just it's better in person. It just is. It's way more. Trust me, I'm not going to turn MLS's matches on my TV anytime soon. But in person, and we actually were had a nice little location where we were with some free beverages. And I got into an argument with uh, I think the son of the New England Revolution owner, which was a lot of fun. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop there. Let's what happened. Well, what happened with that? So here's the deal. So so they're next to us and they're cheering rather loudly for their team. And I'm fine. I mean, listen, you cheer, it's your team. You can cheer for them. You don't cheer couple- too loudly next to noted FCC fan Richard Skinner. That's well, I will say they, they did flop a whole lot, which I know is a big part of the sport. But one guy went down like he was shot, right? And it caused the FC guy to get a yellow card, which looked really egregious. I'm not a soccer fish. I've covered enough soccer in my day to know what's egregious and what's not. It looked like an innocent collision. This guy's down like he's dead. And I just keep yelling, get up. You're not dead. Get up. <laughs> Miraculously, he gets up and he is running. So every time he touched the ball, the fans booed because it was such an acting job. So the next time the guy, guy flopped, I clapped at the guy. The, the guy. I said, I said, you got a great team there. The New England Flopolution. Good for you guys. He goes, why don't you shut the blank up? And I'm like, okay, it's on now. Here we go. So, yeah, it was good. Uh, that's, that is incredible. Only your first FC Cincinnati yep. game. Did you even know? I mean, obviously they've had a lot of success. Did you even know their record when you went in? Or I did. You like, okay. I did. I knew this was kind of an important game. They were seven points up on the Revolution, a chance to go up nine if they would won that match, which would have been big. Um, New England was in third place at the time. I think they still are, um, but it would have it would have been a, it would have been a big win. So yeah, I was I was into it. It was it was fun. It was actually it was very enjoyable. I will tell you the stadium. I'll give them this. They built that stadium perfectly. I mean, perfectly. They've done such a good job with all of it. They they really have. I mean, they, there's nothing you can take away from FC Cincinnati. Nope. Nope. We're not the biggest soccer fans, but you have to appreciate what they've built and the success they've been able to already generate in Cincinnati, which obviously has had its history with losing in professional sports. Yeah, and I, I think the other part, too, I think it's built just the right size. I know people, as this maybe grows as a fan base, are going to be upset that that you know, it's not a bigger stadium for my, honestly, I think sometimes demand is a wonderful thing. Demand for tickets yep. is a hell of a thing. And I think you'll see that, that moving forward, but it, it's, it's beautiful and kudos to them. Great job. All right. Well, let's jump into our topics for today. The Reds are on another winning streak. They're five and one since we last spoke winners of four straight after Wednesday night's nine to two blowout win over the nationals. They are in first place over the Brewers still skinny and Graham Ashcraft was great in that win Wednesday night, giving the Reds six innings of one-run baseball. That's now back-to-back outings where Ashcraft has given the Reds six or more innings while only allowing one run. Where are you at on Graham Ashcraft? Are you buying stock? Um, not quite yet. I'd like to see it um, another start or two like that against a better lineup. Um, that's not a very good lineup that Washington has. Again, he he shoved it up their rear end. He did a great job. That, you're right. That's back-to-back starts. And, and I think that's the positive moving forward is we're looking for some progress, right? Um, we saw him backslide tremendously before the injury. Um, and then if I'm not mistaken, was, I think it was the first start after the injury, Rick, he got rocked again. And then you're looking for something. In fact, we talked about would it be worthwhile to send him down to work on an extra pitch, to work on some things without getting his teeth beat in. Um, they kind of need him up here by by demand. Um, but I'm not quite buying stock yet, but it is a nice sign of progress. And they and it came at a time with this pitching staff sure could have used it. And they and, and it was really beneficial. Yeah, the one thing with Graham Ashcraft is I've heard a lot of people talking about like is he even a major league pitcher? Should, should, like you talk about, should they be setting him down? Should they just move on, cut bait with this guy? I I think people have got, gone way overboard. With the Graham Ashcraft concern or criticism, this was a guy who gave you 100 innings last year, and it was up and down. He definitely had some struggles throughout that, but overall, after last season was done, he pitched his 100 plus innings. We all looked at it, and went, 
that guy's got a chance to be something in the future. He could be a, a really nice, potentially third option behind Green and Lodolo, or if not third, but he's in your rotation probably sure. and looks like a, a middle-of-the-rotation type of guy. And by the way, he started off this season with six great starts. He was really good to start this season. I think everyone forgets that. Like Out of his 15 starts right now, eight of those starts have been good. Yeah, you know, he obviously backslid and some of it was, uh, you know, teams were, were, were not swinging that slider out of the zone any longer. And it really made him kind of a one pitch pitcher, if you will. And I don't know what's changed in the last couple of starts that have, have made that better, um, but they, they have been better. And again, that's what we've kind of wanted to see from the young guys, right, is there's going to be a moment of backslide. Then how do you respond to that? And it, it, the response from him has been really, really good. Yeah, it has. But I just think you got a guy that's 25 years old. Oh, I wasn't ready to give up on him. I, no, I, 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 I know I, enough. I like people saying, people saying like he can't be in the major leagues when yeah. more than half of his starts this year have been really good starts. Now, granted, the bad ones have been really bad. Yeah. I get that. But if you're giving me more than half of your starts are very good starts where you've got a great chance to win the game, that's good enough for me, especially in this rotation. Well, I was going to say, if, if, you, if, if you're in this rotation and you can pitch six innings and allow four runs – Chances are pretty good this team's going to win because of that lineup in the back end of the bullpen. Yeah, exactly. A Joey Votto homered on Monday and then homered again on Wednesday as part of a three-for-five night. He's now hitting 205 with five homers and 11 RBIs in 44 at-bats this season. Skinny, do you feel like there's a spot for Joey Votto in this lineup still, or is it getting to be that point where I know he hit a couple home runs this week, but it might be time to look to move on? No, I think he's a left-handed DH against right-handers. I think that's a good spot for him. And maybe if it's a, a right-hander where the metrics show it's just not a guy that Joey Votto matches up well with, maybe you don't play him then either. But yeah, I think he's a left-hand. I, I don't know what university bats ahead of Spencer Steer at the moment in, in any lineup, but that's okay. I mean, it's worked out with him hitting the home run ahead of Spencer Steer last night especially. But like I said, I'm not sure what universe that is. I mean, maybe, maybe David Bell – his hand was shaky on the lineup card when he got down to six. I'm like, I can't take him to seven. I can't do it. I'm going to always pencil him in right there. It almost feels like that's what that's all about. But no, I listen, you can't sneeze at five home runs in the handful of the bats he's had on a team that, that hasn't had until late bringing up McLean and, and Ellie De La Cruz and whatnot. Didn't really have a lot of power for a chunk of this season. I don't sneeze at that out of the DH spot. I, I Again, I think there's a spot. It's just not an everyday spot. I do like the fact that it seems like he's, just gone all in on trying to hit the ball out of the stadium. Yeah. No, he, he's that, just taking big cuts again. He's striking out a lot, but you needed pop in this lineup and he's hitting low enough that it's like, great. Just try to hit one out. Just be dangerous back there. Yeah, exactly. And, and that, and he'll still take his walks on top of it. So there's value to that as well. And listen, if he's now become a three outcome guy, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Now I will say like watching him, I've been a little bit torn my heart loving Joey Votto getting this opportunity to to play on a meaningful team that's winning games, and he's wearing his hat backwards. He's giving Ellie hugs and doing celebrations with him. He's clearly loving all of this. So that yeah. part of it makes me want to go, no, he's fine. Leave, leave him in there. Give him more, more at-bats. But then the other side of it is my head going, I just don't know if he has it anymore, and you probably need to limit his opportunities as much as possible. Like you said, he becomes the DH against righties, that's about it. And that's mostly how they've used him recently. Yeah, I mean, Dave, David Bell's even pinch hit for him a couple of times when lefties have come in. Yeah, exactly. And, and the good news is, I think people are losing sight of this. They don't have to do anything right now. Not with Joey Votto. Right. Not with trades necessarily. Like, as much right. as we all want more starting pitching, they're winning with the group they've got right now. They're in first place. You don't have to screw anything up right now. Yeah. You don't have to make a decision on Joey Votto right now. You're doing fine with him in the lineup. And I will say, I, I I think with this team as healthy as it is in the lineup, it gives David Bell a ton of lineup flexibility. It allows him to mix and match lineups. It allows him to bat TJ Friedel lead off against righties and keep him in the lineup and hit him eighth against lefties. I mean, my God, Will Benson, who I thought was a disaster early in the year and has clearly turned it around. I mean, that's a dangerous-ass number nine hitter, man. How many other teams have a cat like that bat ninth? In all seriousness, is there – another team that has a weapon like him. At I mean, it, if, if there is, it's only because some managers doing that weird thing yeah. where they like try to make the leadoff hitter number nine or whatever. Right. I, like I don't know if anyone does that guy. anymore, yeah. but yeah. Um, but yeah, he's, I mean, he's a real weapon with his athleticism and his power there in the nine hole. I mean, and, and honestly, and, and I wrote a comment about Spencer Steer kind of being an all-star snub. 
I mean, he's batting seventh in this lineup last night. And, and it, I get it. Like I said, I, I'd probably flip-flop him and Votto. I'm not going to get into whole roster construction pissiness this morning. But, um, you know, if, if that's your seven-hole hitter who's eighth or ninth in the league in OPS at the moment, it's a pretty darn good lineup. Yeah. I mean, it, it the depth in this lineup is, I mean, I think unrivaled in terms of most Reds teams in my lifetime i'm trying to think i mean you go all the way back to 90 i was three years old at that time i don't really remember that very well but that team had a good mix of power and and speed obviously i mean you had barry larkin you had eric davis sabo could run um i'm probably missing a couple guys off the top of my head that that team had a good mix of that obviously the big red machine was was great at that but this team too i mean they can beat you stealing a base they can beat you taking an extra base they can beat you tagging up on a fly ball they can beat you with friedel bunting the ball over they can beat you with gap to gap they can beat you with power at the moment that's a that's that's a hard line to defend. Well, and also, like you were saying, I mean, look at the guys coming off the bench for pinch hit opportunities or that you can plug in at multiple spots. They can do different things against different pitchers that come in out of the bullpen. I mean, even a guy like Stuart Fairchild. Right. He, he You can't get him innings, but every time he gets in there, he seems to make something happen or look pretty good. So, uh, yeah, I, in terms of depth and talent, I'm trying to think of another roster during my time aside from the 90 team, because again, I don't really remember that all that well. Um, I'm not, I'm not really coming up with one. I guess maybe like the, the clinchmas team was, was pretty good. That was a, that was a pretty power laden team though. Yeah. I mean, it felt had, like it was mostly and you, and you the big had, bats. And, and you had Votto in his prime. I mean, yeah. you had Votto d- doing thousand OPS things in his prime too. That helped. Yeah. No one was stealing bases in that era though. I'll right. tell you that. Right. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't the same type of game to watch. That's for sure. Well, you That's mentioned what made this so much more fun is I, you know, again, I grew up in a stolen base era. I, I, I understand those that are anti-stolen base. I've told you, I still would like to, to crunch numbers uh, on adding stolen base to slugging percentage, if you will, that if you steal a base, you've added a total base. If you're thrown out stealing, that takes away a base. I mean, what's the difference between stretching a single into a double where you get two total bases or you're on first and then steal second and take that base? That to me adds to your total base count, in my opinion. I think there is value to the stolen base and this team is proving it. Well, and the analytics guys, a lot of them will be like, well, this is the majors and they don't throw the ball all around and make errors just because you're running and sacrifice bunting doesn't matter because it's just giving them an out and all that stuff. And I don't disagree with the sacrifice bunts. I don't like that either. Most of the time I'm with the analytics stuff, but I will say something that is just not measured properly or you can't fully quantify it with the numbers is the pressure that a defense feels when dudes are running around on them. How many times have we seen Players make bad throws this year because Ellie De La Cruz is on the bases. I mean, that, that game in St. Louis on the on the go-on-contact play with the infield in, that's a routine play for a high school shortstop it, to make. And he rushed his throw because Ellie De La Cruz was in his mind. Last night, he got a terrible jump trying to steal yeah. third, and the catcher rushes the throw down there, one hops it to the left side of the base, and he slides in easily. It's yeah. like, I mean, that type of pressure matters and it may not matter for every player. It may not matter the same for every guy. And a lot of times you may they may still make the play but not all the time. And the Reds are taking advantage of those times when they don't because they're just constantly putting pressure on these teams with the way they, they run. I, that The fact that they're running so much, uh, the fact that the rules have changed to make the game a quicker pace, and just the, the general nature of this team overall has made this as fun of a season as you could possibly have. It's all those things converging in, in my Agreed. opinion. Agreed. And, and, and back to the stolen base portion of it or the threat of it, I mean, how many more fastballs do you guys see because of that too? Yeah, good point. And with this lineup, <laughs> that definitely makes a difference. Yep. Uh, the, you mentioned the All-Star game. The rosters for the All-Star game were revealed. And despite the Reds being atop the National League Central, they only have one player in this year's game. That is closer Alexis Diaz, who has been outstanding. He's definitely deserving of it. Yep. Uh, do you think any Reds players were snubbed of an All-Star bid? You mentioned mentioned Spencer Steer a little bit there. Yeah, Spencer Steer clearly was snubbed, in my opinion. The problem was, and I wrote a column about this, is it's the process of the th- the way it's done is, you know, obviously the fans vote for the nine starters, then the players vote for nine position players and uh, five pitchers as well. And if the starters match up, then the next guy on the list gets that spot at the position. The problem is, the way that voting is done, guys are slotted as either a first baseman, a second baseman, a shortstop, a third baseman, and then three outfield spots are generic. Well, Spencer Steele qualifies in theory at, at left field, an outfield spot, DH as a hitter, first base and third base. Unfortunately, at first base where he was on the ballot, 
The the starter is Freddie Freeman. No complaints there. One of the backups, Matt Olson. No complaint there. And then um, Pete Alonzo from the Mets, who's not having a very good year compared to Spencer Steer, but he is the lone Mets representative. That's another rule of, of every team has to have a, a rep in the game. I just think the process moving forward for a guy like Steer and those super utility guys, there has to be one. I, I did a blind thing in the column of here's player A stats, player B stats, player C, player D. And if you look at them, it's clear that player B is head and shoulders above A, C, and D. Well, player B was Spencer Steer. Player A was Austin Riley, third baseman for the for the Atlanta Braves, who's a backup. Player C was um, uh, Jorge Soler, the DH from Miami, who went in as a DH because that's what he was on the ballot. And player D was Lords Guriel from the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks, who went in as a backup outfielder. And Steer clearly is better than him, but there's no he, he's he's pigeonholed as a first baseman. And so to me, that's where the snub came in, unfortunately, for him. He's number nine in the he's number nine in, in all the National League and OPS. You know where the top eight guys ahead of him are? They're all in the all-star game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I think he deserves it, and he has been awesome. And his value to this Reds team is partly that he can play multiple spots and he is versatile. He's a good athlete. But to your point about all-star voting, especially when you factor in each team has to get a player in. Right. So so sometimes you're looking at it, you're saying, wait, how this guy make it in over him when he has worse stats? So it's like, well, that might be their one guy that that team got in at that position, and that yeah. may have hurt him. And the commissioner's and- office gets to put two in, and they put in a guy from Colorado as a third catcher, Colorado's lone rep, and Pete Alonzo as a third first baseman as the as the Mets' lone rep. So their hands were a bit tied, too. It just I, it, it makes me think the process has to change again somewhat. Yeah, I guess what would you do? Just add a spot for a utility guy, like label it utility or, or, spot. Or honestly, honestly, I, th- I think I would do it where um, you know, obviously, fans still have to have a say in this. That's part of the lore of this fan, the fan voting. So let, let, take the starters out of the equation. I think maybe the players get to pick and vote for five backups, maybe six, regardless of position, and then the commissioner's office picks the the other six backups again, regardless of position. So if it leaves you with two backup outfielders and maybe a utility outfielder is your third, you're going to live with it. It's an all-star game. I mean, not everybody has to play the field. A guy can get in at bat as a pinch hitter and he doesn't have to play the field. To me, I think that's a way, better way to balance it because you are having more and more teams that do have these super utility guys that, that they, they they hop around different positions. So it's hard to pigeonhole them in, in one spot. I did hear some callers into Sports Talk this week talking about some of the other Reds rookies that, that came up, Ellie, Matt McLean. Those guys – just didn't get enough games in, right? I mean, yeah, my, and I made a case for two other guys just to make a case, and, and one of them was was Matt McClain. He would if he qualified with plate appearances, um, and he probably will if he plays the way he's playing and gets the number. He'll end up ends up having enough qualifying appearances to appear. He does not show up in the OPS leaders, but if he did, he would actually be um, ahead of Steer in the OPS, and he'd be the clear cut number one overall OPS at shortstop. The next closest is Dansby Swanson. I think McLean was, as of yesterday, McLean was like 919, and Dansby Swanson was 768. Now, you can argue the more at bats, maybe that lowers his OPS. I don't know, man. I, I To me, this guy's an OPS machine because of his gap-to-gap power, the ability to put one out of the ballpark, the fact he does get hits, the fact he does take walks. He's going to have a huge OPS. And I think, again, if you want to make a case, I understand why Dansby Swanson was in as the backup. He was not the lone Cubs rep, but he deserves it. He actually is a leading war uh, guy at shortstop by a long shot. I think his war is 3.6. McLean would be second, I believe. He's at 2.2 already, which is staggering to think of where he is at that point. And then honestly, if you look at outfielders, TJ Friedel also didn't have enough at-bats to qualify an OPS. But I could clearly make a case for him over Lords Guriel. Um, and, you know, if Guriel got in and he's a multi-guy for the Diamondbacks, they end up getting three guys in. I could have made a case for TJ Friedel, but again, it wouldn't have been as good of a case as I, as I could make clearly for Spencer Steer to be in this game somehow, some way. Can we talk about Matt McLean's forearms for a second? <laughs> have you looked at those things? I have. They're, they're insane. I mean, they look like his thighs. They well, are so, absurdly so, huge for a guy his size. Do you remember Steve Garvey at all as a player, maybe even through I, highlights? I had cards of him, but I don't, okay. yeah, I don't really remember well, watching him much. For the older folks watching the podcast, and I don't know how, how old you would have to be to be in this group, there was a cartoon character named Popeye, right? You remember Popeye? The yeah, sailor? oh yeah, Ada Spinach. Okay. Well, Popeye had those big forearms, and that was Steve Garvey's nickname. Maybe that, that needs to be Matt McClain's nickname, because you're right, he does. He does have some big forearms on him, because he's not a big guy. Yeah, he uh, played from 69 to 87. 
Yes. Darby did. So a little, little before my time. That's right. You've heard of Babe Ruth, though, right? Ah, vaguely familiar. Okay. I, I've, I've heard of it. Okay, just check it. Um, it was reported that Ellie De La Cruz was asked to participate in the home run derby, which is something we had talked about on here. We thought that would probably happen, yep. and he did decline that option. That's something that you were hoping for, right? That he yeah, would just yeah. say no if asked. I know it would be fun, guys. I get it, I, I, and it would be because I don't think he'd have to overswing to probably hit balls out. I just, I, I my fear is it just it could change it, and I just don't want anything to mess with it. I think he could also probably use the break as well. Um, they've it's funny they've played him and McLean more on a daily basis than I thought I thought there'd be a little more rotational days off for those guys I get it you're winning they've been and they're to why you're winning so I understand that fully yeah. um but I think he could use the break and and I think what what he said was he's basically all in on winning and and kind of the same way good for him for being mature enough to say thanks but no thanks not this year maybe down the road it is funny because it felt like we would be doing the kids glove thing with these young guys this year as, you know, it'd be a bad team. They'd be several games right. out of it and you'd be, okay, let's play this guy here and there and get him some opportunities and bring him along slowly. Instead, you're in a pennant race and those young guys that you're supposed to be bringing along slowly or thought you might be bringing along slowly are the leaders on the team and the guys making it happen. So yeah, you don't really have a choice. Not that you would want one right now, but it is, it is funny, that point of, I don't know if they need a break or not, but you, you feel like they might, given that they've been such a big part of this. And I know, in terms of the home run derby stuff, I know there have been plenty of things written about, there's no proof that participating in the home run derby actually hurts your performance in the second half of the year. I mean, a, a big reason you've seen guys' go, numbers go down in the second half is because, well, there's a reason they made the All-Star Game or the home run derby in the first place. They were having one of their best seasons early in the year, and there's a natural decline there in the second half a lot of times but there's also plenty of guys that had great second halves after participating in the home run derby so I don't think it's necessarily uh there, there's clear evidence that it's going to hurt you but I can guarantee you one thing the Reds didn't want Ellie De La Cruz no, participating exactly. yeah exactly. Uh, exactly and I don't either why why take any chance at all for anything that may tire him out a little more keep him on the road a little bit longer mess with his swing at all, whether it is real or not. I just, the Reds probably didn't want to do it. I, I can guarantee you that. Why, why worry about it? You know, I like you said, it would be fun. He hits those those types of home runs that I always thought Willie Mopena was going to be hitting in games that are just Well, like, he did. He hit him once every three weeks. He hit him once every three weeks in games. Yeah, yeah. he really did. In yeah. between about 25 strikeouts. But yeah, he did hit him a long way. Yeah, I mean, he, Ellie, the thing about that's weird about Ellie is when you watched Willie Mopena do it, he had that sort of big muscle-bound swing. Yep. It, it looked like he was swinging it was hard. All or nothing. hard. It was all or nothing. Yeah. When Ellie does it, he has this – I mean, it's probably more explosive and quicker than Griffey, but kind of this long, smooth swing still where it's like, how does he generate all that power? And also, I mean, that 455-foot home run he hit Wednesday night – it, it, that's a golf shot, man. And he's, and he's hitting it out of the park. Like it's nothing. Like it's nothing. Yeah. Like it's nothing. I, I don't really understand the physics of all that. How, I, how I, he hits the ball so damn far. Well, I don't either. It, it goes to the golf swing as well, where you watch a, a tiny girl hit, hit a ball 280 and I'm struggling to get 220 off the tee. And it's like, how is that? It's all timing, man. It's just, it's all timing mechanics. And he's, he's got it. It's, it, it's, it's, it looks so natural, so fluid, so easy. He makes the game look stupid easy. Kind of like you're right. Kind of like Junior did when he first came up. You're like this 19 year old dude, man. I know he's going to be good one day, but he was good from Jump Street, and it was just natural. It was it was freakishly natural, and I think the same thing with Ellie. It's just freakishly natural, and just enjoy it. Yeah. Skinny. Anything else with the Reds, the All Star Game, Ellie? Yeah, I, I, I do. Again, want to touch on Andrew Abbott, and, and I, I'm yeah. I'm no longer in the boy. I hope he's going to be good, and, and I'm waiting for the shoe to drop. There's going to be a start where it's going to be a disappointment. But man, this cat's legit. And, and honestly, where would this, as much as Ellie and Matt McLean, those guys, I'm not sure where this team would be without that guy right now because he's continued winning streaks. He stopped the small losing streak. Um, I know I saw a stat yesterday on, on Ellie um, on a story that AP did that I put on our website. And so we have to add one more to it. Reds are 21 and six since, since Ellie came up. And I don't think that's a coincidence by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I'd love to see take Andrew Abbott starts out of the mix and make the Reds two and five or whatever it would be, maybe if it's not him starting and you're not a first place team at the moment. And I think he's made a world of difference in that regard. Where are you at now in terms of how he slots it? I mean, he wasn't 
the highest touted guy in terms of being a prospect. Still a second round pick, though. So let's not discount the fact that he was a fairly high round pick. But I, I need your but, point. It was not Hunter Green buzz. It was not Nick Lodolo buzz. Yeah, I mean, by the time he was getting away. close to the majors, they were, right. they were not – he was not ranked highly in terms no, of the prospect right. list. Yeah, you're right. Um, uh, so do, do you think now at this point – are you thinking about him as a potential like one or two type of guy in the rotation? I am. It feels I, I, that I, way, right? I can't remember if it was Chris Welsh or who it was. It might have even been a different broadcast they, over the week when he pitched. Yeah, I, think it was, I think it was him. Um, used the comparison of Tom Glavin, and it, it – it, it it kind of looks that I, uh, a, f- a friend of the of, of my Mike Petralia who covers the the Bengals um, in town and, and some other sports as well. Um, after I think his first or second start, we were just during the Bengals off season program. We had a media availability, and Mike asked the room, "Who does he remind you of?" And we all kept racking our heads and, and throwing out left handers' names. He goes, "No, no, think of almost a Cy Young award." And I went, "Oh, Danny Jackson." And those who may remember Danny Jackson, if you watch, go look at some Danny Jackson stuff. Um, who was a runner-up for the Cy Young in in uh, what was it, eighty-eight or eighty-nine, eighty-eight? I guess it was to Oral Hershiser. Um, He has kind of a similar delivery, but I, I, I mean, if you're going to compare him to those guys, that's a that's a pretty good place to start because both, obviously, Tom Glavin, a Hall of Fame pitcher, and and Danny Jackson was a very capable pitcher in his day. If it's somewhere in between those guys, you got yourself a guy for a long time at the top of the rotation. Yeah, I say that that'll that'll get it done if it's anywhere near that. I mean, it feels unfair to put that type of expectations or pressure on a a guy that's just this early in his career, but skinny at a certain point when he's doing stuff that no pitcher in major league history has done since the 1900s, you got to start thinking in those terms, right? I mean, and he's been pretty ridiculous. Yeah. The delivery looks effortless. I mean, he doesn't look like a max effort pitcher. You know, Hunter green looks max effort and that that's not fair, but it just always looks max effort. This guy doesn't look max effort to me. It looks and, – and maybe it's the left-hander. Left-handers always look smoother for whatever reason. I don't, I don't know why that is, but they always do. They look more effortless than right-handers do. But it just looks like he's got such an easy delivery. Um, he doesn't rely on overpowering stuff. He relies on great location, um, a mix of pitches, and I don't think that's going to change. I don't think suddenly people are going to go, well, we can lay off of this because he's going to do that. No, he's – he gets by elevating a 93 mile an hour fastball because guys can't catch up to it because of the way he places the ball in the zone at times. He's he's just a great pitcher. All right, let's switch gears here. Quick Bengals topic. Did you see the Paul Daner story on The Athletic this week where he spoke to Corey Dillon about not being in the Bengals ring of honor? and And not being in the Hall of Fame. Right. What, what what were your thoughts on? I mean, Corey Dillon is pissed if you did not see it. What were yes. your thoughts on that? Well, all right, the, the Ring of Honor, I'm going to have to say that he's not in my group yet. In fact, I've made that pretty clear. Corey should be in probably in the next two or three cycles. I don't think Bengals fans have gotten it right yet because I still think Lamar Parrish is a clear-cut choice to be in, in my opinion. I think Corey needs to look back at Bengals history and realize – kind of where he is on the pantheon of that. I will agree, however, on his rant about not being in the Hall of Fame. He has clear Hall of Fame credentials. Running yardage totals for a crappy team at the time in the Bengals and some of the just ridiculous things he did on bad teams. Then really capping his career off by going to New England, having success there individually, and then winning a Super Bowl ring. I think that dotted every I and crossed every T there should be for Corey Dillon to be in the Hall of Fame. I don't disagree with his his stance on that. I think he is clearly a Hall of Famer. And yes, in the next handful of cycle years, he should be in the Bengals ring of honor. We're not quite there yet because I think we got to we gotta play a little catch up with some guys in the past. I think he needs to learn the history of the franchise a little bit before he pisses yeah. and moans about that. But I will back him up clearly on his Hall of Fame rant. Yeah, the, the Bengals rant bothers me a little bit because I'll be honest. I mean, he hasn't even been in the conversations yet for us when we've right. been right. coming up with who should be in for these names. So I ranked him at one point, Rick, off the initial ballot. I know he was in my top 10, I think. I'd have to go back and look because I think I did a – here's the 10 I would put in. and the, I wanted a 10-member original class just to kind of play catch-up real quick while some of these guys were still alive. I'm pretty sure he was in that top 10. If not, he was just on the outside looking in. So, yeah, I mean, we're not to that cycle yet of getting to that point. I'm, I'm sorry again. Go learn a little bit about the team history, my man. Yeah, as far as the the Hall of Fame stuff, why do you think he's not in? Because I haven't really heard him brought up in those conversations that much either. Great question. Um, I think some of it is, from the Bengals' perspective, I know Jeff Hobson makes the case for Hall of Fame players. 
I think Jeff's trying to play catch up with some guys, right? I mean, he's trying to play catch up for Ken Riley and Ken Anderson and maybe Lamar Parrish. And, you know, there's only so many times you can play catch up. I, I am a little surprised, though, that maybe a national guy or two hasn't spoken up on his behalf for what he did with the Bengals. And again, what he did with New England, uh, both individually, personal success wise, and being a big part of them winning a Super Bowl. So, I'm a little surprised at, at, at that part of it. Again, look at his credentials. Look at the rest of the running back field. Look who's in. Corey Dillon's a clear-cut Hall of Fame, right? It's that, that 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 shouldn't even be open to debate. His name should get thrown on the table, and he should be, boom, he's in. Can I state an unpopular opinion here in Cincinnati? Oh, I, I'm, I'm sure I am sure I know where you're going with this, but I'd like to hear it from your voice rather than mine. Go. Yeah, I'm not a Corey Dillon guy. I, I mean, he represents that. Everything that was wrong with the Bengals franchise when they were bad. And like, I realized he was maybe their only good player for several years and he did a lot of great things on a terrible franchise. And I'll go for probably, yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the fact that he was so pissed off by the time he left Cincinnati and, and forced his way out is was probably well earned. I mean, that was probably a, a terrible franchise to play for, but he's also just a piss poor attitude. I mean, yes. him ranting now and bitching about stuff. Is par for the course with him. This is no surprise that he's the type of guy that's doing this. This is who he always was. I, I know he did a lot of great things in his career as a Bengal in terms of his personal numbers, but to me, he represents an era of Bengals football that I would rather just completely forget. I, I really yeah, want nothing. I, to I, I fully understand that. Uh, again, I, I'm just going to look at numbers, look at the talent, and look at the deservingness of it, and I do think he's clearly deserving of the Hall of Fame, but I'll go back to – Again, go look up your Bengals history, my man, and then come back to me and tell me that the guys who are already in the Ring of Honor um, aren't ahead of you on the list and and should be. And there's still more, to, a handful more to come before we get to you. Honestly, I'm, I'm going to say I, I would put James Brooks in before I put him in. I really would in the Bengals Ring of Honor. And the funny part is I'm not sure James Brooks is a Hall of Famer. I think Corey yeah. Dillon is, again, part of what he did in New England adds to that mix. What James right. Brooks did with the Bengals as a Bengals player, um, to me, I think he deserves to be in the ring honor before Corey Dillon does. So before we even talk about him getting in, let's talk about a better running back, in my opinion, uh, from a different year in James Brooks. Yeah, I think there's still at least at least two more cycles of Bengals ring of honor before you're talking Corey Dillon. Yeah, I know there's a lot of people. I'm not in the Boomer Esiason ring of honor camp yet, but I think Boomer will probably go in before he does. I think he should. Yeah. All right, let's switch gears here one more time before we get to ask any anything. little uh, Xavier topic, college basketball-related. Former Xavier wing Colby Jones was drafted 34th overall. He ended up with the Sacramento Kings after some draft night trading. And the Kings just signed him to a four-year, $8.76 million deal. Two of those years are actually guaranteed, which is similar to if he would have been picked in the, the first round. Jones had 11 points in his first summer league game with the Kings and 11 in his second game on Wednesday night, they'll get back into full summer league action on Friday with the NBA 2K Summer League. Skinny, do you think Colby Jones will outperform that four-year deal, or do you think he was fortunate to get it? I think he was fortunate to get it, a, but I do think he'll outperform it. Um, I, I, I do. I think he is going to be the perfect rotational backup piece in the league for a long time. I, I really do, and maybe a guy that that we may even see butt into a, a starter eventually. I, I think he does have that kind of skill set. It's funny you you talked about the contract. So I was on vacation last week, and and my boss, who you know, he's a big Xavier fan, and he texted me, "Hey, Colby got a guaranteed deal." And in my mind, I went, "Well, yeah, he was a first round pick." And I went, "Oh no, that's right, he wasn't a first a first round pick." So it is a big deal that he got that that contract. So I do think he is fortunate. I think it also tells you what the Kings think about him too, and, and his potential moving forward. I think this was the Kings' intention that night all along. Was I think they got to a certain point in the in the first round where they go. Colby didn't go yet. We don't think he's going to go with these last teams that are left. We're just going to pass on our first round pick here, trade back. And then they moved back up to, they were at 38. They moved back up to 34, traded up to get him. And then they basically signed him to a a first round type of deal where they guaranteed him two years and they've got him for four at at a pretty cheap price if they want. I mean, looking, look at him so far in summer league has been interesting because they're playing at the point guard position. He's been coming in off the bench and running the point for him. And, and that first game, you're looking at him like, ooh, this is a tough spot for him to be in. The nerves have got to be high with it being his first professional game. And he's being asked to bring the ball up the court and do something he, he didn't really do much in college at all. But so far, he's handled it pretty well. I mean, he's used a, a lot of possessions, the second most after Keegan Murray, who was the Kings' first-round pick last year, fourth overall. Uh, 
Murray's averaged like 30 points a game through the first two, but Colby's been their second leading scorer at 11 and a half. Yeah, I don't think he's a rotational point guard moving forward. That's just my opinion. But I, I do understand why you would do it in summer league. Let's see. I mean, if it works out and you go, hey, he's our he's a he's a backup wing for us, but in a pinch with foul trouble or a night of an injury and the guy has to sit, could we get eight, ten minutes a game out of him at the point? Yeah, maybe you can get by with that. But again, it's, I think it's very much worth doing in the summertime for sure. Well, and I also think part of the value with Colby Jones is in his ability to make plays, whether he's on the ball as the point guard or he's playing off the ball as the shooting guard. You still want him when he catches that ball to be able to get into the lane, get paint touches and make plays. And I think putting the ball in his hands full time, kind of giving him that mindset of we want you to be a ball handler and a playmaker for us when you come into the game is kind of signifying that. I think I think he has the ability to do that. I think you might end up seeing that like like Josh Hart, for instance, I think is a perfect comparison to what you'd like Colby to end up being at the professional level. And one thing Josh Hart is, is he's super efficient on the offensive end. He doesn't take a lot of shots. He only takes good ones. He doesn't turn the ball over much. That could be more Colby's role, I think, when you get into an actual NBA roster and you have your point guard position taken care of. But it has been kind of fun to watch him run the point position and see what he's capable of there. You know, Rick, you know, I'm a basketball junkie. You're a bigger junkie than I am by far. I mean, I've actually been putting together practice plans for high school basketball this fall over the last week just to work ahead a little bit. Um, But I got to be honest with you. I've not watched one dribble yet of NBA Summer League action. How much have you watched? Uh, I've watched all of the Kings games because I kind of have to do it for the Xavier site. So uh, that that was two games. And then I've watched, like I wanted to watch Chet uh, Holmgren play his first couple yeah, games. Yeah, I, I, I read about that. That sounded like it went really well, yes? Yeah, yeah. He looks good. He's moving really well, blocking shots above the rim. So uh, that was fun. And then I've just caught kind of bits and pieces of a lot of other games. Adam Kunkel actually played a decent amount for That's Golden right. State on Wednesday yeah. night and and made his first shot was actually a step back three from the left wing. So, so that was good to see. He, I mean, I don't think he's going to have much of a, a chance to play a lot during the, the upcoming week in their summer league, but – the fact that he got in for about 10 minutes on Wednesday night says maybe nice. maybe he'll get a little more of a look than I was thinking. So that'd be great for him if he if he got some run and was able to latch on to either a G League team or or maybe a, a nice international team. Yeah, on most of our podcasts, we have a gambling segment. For those of you who maybe you're watching for the first time or those of you watching and wonder why we don't have one. We don't have one today, but I have to ask, can you bet on NBA Summer League games? I think yes. I'm almost certain you Seriously? can because I've seen I've seen stuff on Twitter about player props. I didn't look it up myself wow. personally. I'm not that much of a degenerate, but okay. I did see okay. other people tweeting about player props. So I think you can at least somewhere. All right. Well, maybe maybe next week we'll come up with some player props moving forward in the NBA Summer League. I'm not against that at all. I know you're not. <laughs> uh, I am looking to make sure we didn't get any more Ask Any Anythings here since I last looked. All right. Only a couple Ask Any Anythings to get to this week. All right. Cool. We'll get, we'll get to them and get through them. All right, this one is from John. He says, I can't see Skinny wearing a jersey, but if either of you had to wear one to a game, what would you pick? And he also says, do either of you have rules for jersey wearing? He says, I've never owned a jersey, but observing others, a few of my personal rules I have formulated in my brain are, one, if if the player no longer plays for your team and wasn't a great player, like Mark in bench rows, then don't wear that jersey. No Johnny Gomes, no Derek Dietrich, or Yasiel Puig. <laughs> he, he also says, do not personalize a jersey and put your last name on the yes, back. Yes, yeah, that, that's weak sauce to me, yes. <laughs> the, the old guy with 69 on the back, roaring. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's, yeah that's really cool. clever. Really I've, got a, I've got a DePaul jersey that is exactly that, 69 and sh- and roaring on it. That, very nice. Perfect um, for you. And this one, he says, this one is controversial. Body type should match jersey. If you look like an offensive lineman, you should not be wearing a Burrow, Chase McLean, or De La Cruz jersey. That's correct. Bengals fans would have plenty of options, but probably limits the Reds to uh, Ian Jabil. So uh, before I answer the initial part of this question, I'm going to go to that part of, of, of the question or the statement, I guess. Uh, so at Bengals games uh, in the press box, some some of our morose viewing a lot of times before the game is watching fans file in with their jerseys on and looking and going – that poor guy is denigrating Jeff Blake's body type. Why is he wearing a Jeff? That guy has no business. Or Boomer Sisons never look like that guy. And, and I'm with you. I mean, yeah, if you're a bigger guy, you need to be wearing a lineman's. If you're going to wear one. Now, listen, part of my rule is honestly this. If you're above college age, 
Yeah. You don't need to be wearing a jersey. You just don't. I'm sorry, you don't. I'm going 25 as kind of the cutoff there. And and honestly, you're right. It's like after you're out of college, it starts getting kind of goofy and weird. But under 25, you still don't know any better. You still think you're young and you're going to parties with your buddies and staying out on the weekend. So yeah, you don't really maybe know that's that you look like I'll an idiot. You, yeah, maybe that's yeah. a good cutoff, Rick. I'll give you that one, 25. But anything other than that, I mean, just don't. It's just don't. All right, so I have owned one jersey in my day. I didn't wear it. It's actually put away in one of my souvenir trunks. A, a Tony Wynn jersey. It's not an oh, authentic nice. Tony Wynn jersey, Wynn. but it's a Padres jersey with Wynn. I got from the Padres I, from the Padres team shop and uh, just was always a big fan of his from the time he first played in, in the big leagues. I don't know if I've told the story. One of the highlights of my journalism career was getting a chance to do a feature story on him uh, for the post when he came to town. And I can tell you, um, I was really nervous about it, even though I'd heard he was a good guy and good to talk to. Uh, but I went in before batting practice and he was at his locker. I said, hey, man, um, you got a couple of minutes? He goes, if you let me go get a roll, I got all the time in the world. He went to the, like the buffet thing, came back with a roll. I don't know why he got a roll. We spent a good 20 minutes just talking. It was the, it was just fabulous. It, I, I'll never forget that and getting a chance to do the story on him uh, when he came to town. Um, that was kind of in the heyday of him pushing 400 and whatnot. So <laughs> it was really cool. So that's the only jersey I've ever owned. I will say if I had a jersey to wear, I would pick an old Kentucky Colonels jersey from the ABA days. Oh, I was yeah. a big Colonel. I was a big Colonels fan as a kid, and I just loved their design. Good old, you know what? And even though I'm not his body type, I wear an artist Gilmore. Artist <laughs> was seven foot two, by the way. They had the um, the vertical. Yes, yes, Colonels, yes. right with the with the KC. Yeah, yeah. Those look, are cool look jerseys. Those are cool jerseys. And again, as a fan, I love me some Kentucky Colonels. So, give me an artist Gilmore Kentucky. Although I was probably more of a Louis Dampier body type, I, I would go artist <laughs> Gilmore Colonels jersey. Well, wait, yeah, that. Actually brings up a good question. He said body type, and I only thought of it as like fat, skinny. Does are you should you also not be wearing like tall guy probably, jerseys if you're probably short? A, yeah, probably not. I mean, if I'm walking around with a Gilmore on back in the day, they're gonna laugh and go, he's about a foot and a half taller than you, clown. Skinny Louis wearing Dampier a minute like, bowl jersey would have been yeah, fine. Louis, Damp- Louis Dampier was only like four inches taller than me, so I could pull off the Louis Dampier jersey. <laughs> yeah. I I actually see I, I wouldn't like if people quit wearing jerseys that didn't fit their body type because I love the dad joke of walking through a concourse, seeing like just an old fat white dude in a Jamar Chase jersey and being like, oh, hey, Jamar Chase is out here. I well, love that joke. Like that the, just the never gets old to me. The thing about football jerseys, though, is the, the difference we got in baseball jerseys is you see a lot of people who can't really fit the baseball jersey that wear it unbuttoned. So oh, yeah. it's just like it just kind of yeah. just sits there on top of a T-shirt. That is a to- that's actually a good point. The baseball jersey is a totally different look. Yeah, for people, I, I feel like I do see more adults wearing the baseball jersey for that reason. They do the fully unbuttoned over top of something, which I think is kind of even more silly than anything. But I do see more adults doing that than like NFL jerseys or and I'll, let's say this: if you are an adult over the age of 25 wearing an let's go 28 over 28 wearing an nba jersey you are a criminal of some sort <laughs> right probably i mean that's just that's a fact like the, if you're wearing an nba jersey as an adult you are the type of person that will be filmed fighting in the stands later during that game now if you want to buy your wife a, a hockey sweater maybe or, or a jersey to wear on your private time I'm all with that. I'm huge into that move, actually. Do you remember? You probably don't. Back in the day, around 2000-ish, when I was in high school, so like 2002 to 2006, they had the uh, the M- NBA jersey dresses that oh, were you things those. for yes. the women. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So like you'd have a Jordan jersey, but it would be like a very dress. short yeah. dress. Yes, yes. And that was maybe my favorite female fashion trend of all time. Yes. I, I, that, I'm not that did it for me. I'm not debating that. So again, we're, we're talking adults wearing them. We're talking more men wearing them to games. Yes. Yeah. Jer- women wearing jerseys. I actually enjoy. I actually like that. Plus it's like not as weird for women. Cause they're like, Hey, this guy is hot. I'm yes. wearing yes. an Aaron Rodgers jersey yes. or uh, who was the little white receiver for the Bengals that everyone loved. Uh, um, Texas. Oh, uh, uh, Shipley. 
Jordan Shipley. Yeah, Jordan Shipley, like the best-selling jersey in Cincinnati because every lady just was buying his jersey because yep. he was hot. I'm fine with that, but like as a man wearing another man's jersey, it's kind of weird to have that much admiration for him, is it yes, not? Correct. That's the that's the way. I, plus, I just think it looks goofy. So yeah, yeah, I'm out on wearing jersey as well. I I would not be wear, wearing a jersey that doesn't match my body type, but I think it's funny that other people do it. And I don't want it to stop. I'll say that. <laughs> Just for your own personal amusement. Yes. Do, do you know what my other favorite joke to do was? Was a uh, Bengals training camp for the longest time. I mean, this went on for probably over a decade. Now, no one would know who he is. You'd probably have to switch it to Andy Dalton. But any white guy, it could be a coach. It could be a long snapper. It could be the holder. Any white guy that came out of the locker room during training camp at Georgetown would go, John Kitna. John Kitna and people would swarm. They'd just start walking over and looking for autographs. It was unbelievable. They they never knew what John Kitna looked like. That's ever, great. Ever. Could be By any way, white human. And those who maybe didn't get an autograph, you can drive up to Lakota East this fall when he's coaching football and try to get one there. <laughs> That's right. Still available. Yes. All right. Uh move on to our second ask Kitty anything question. Thanks, John, for that. That that was good. How much money would Skinny be willing to pay at the vet for his Shih Tzu? Someone we know paid for two blood transfusions for their elderly cat. I did follow up on this and uh, asked how much that cost the friend. And he said it was in New York City over two weeks. So I'm assuming over 10 grand. Uh, Well, let me say um, our 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 oldest Shih Tzu was put down at age 19. Our youngest one now has cancer, unfortunately. And uh, Mm. we're probably going to go into five figures trying to get her into remission for lack of a better term. So it is what it is, man. So you're right. So you're right there with the uh, New York couple doing blood transfusions. for Five five, five figures plus. I'm sorry. It's just, it's, 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 I, I would do it in a heartbeat. It's tough, man. I know we were, we were in the same boat where uh, it's it's one reason I was planning on retiring in two years. And now it's going to be three years. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta, gotta afford that shit. So Uh, we, we had the, our dog at night, on the verge of dying or anything, but had tore its doggy ACL. We've had, uh, we had that. Did you get it? We didn't have it done for our, our, our one sheet. So had that happen. She actually moved around pretty good for about four or five years on it. It's, it's again, I think it's a pain management thing for the poor dog. I mean, she got around okay on it without really much pain, but we had to make sure she never got up on the bed anymore and jumped off. Yeah. I mean, that's the problem. We have a golden retriever. I know. So it's a, yeah. you know, a big dog that yep. still wants to do stuff. And we didn't get it done either, mainly because the vet was like 50, 50, whether it even works and holds. Um, and it's, you know, like four grand. So we, we thought about it and, uh, multiple times and just decided to let it go. And we basically sat her out of the game for like a year. Totally didn't let her do anything. And she's made a pretty good recovery. She can run and everything again on it, but good. she's never going to be the same. That's for sure. That's, that's yeah. tough. Uh, all right, we'll wrap it up with this. And this is a big question that's near and dear to my heart right now. Uh-oh. I am my my life is in shambles over here from a work and social media perspective, Skinny. What did you think of Twitter going down? Are you considering migrating to Instagram's Twitter competitor threads? And do you think we are seeing the end of an era in terms of how journalists cover live events? I sure as hell hope so. I figured right? you would say that. Um, You know... I don't know what my man's trying to do with it. I, I honestly don't. So the funny part was, let me let me let me start with the latter part. So yes, I've actually uh, got it downloaded. Threads downloaded to my app. I haven't logged into it yet, but it did. I got it yesterday. The 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 ticket for today. Well, then overnight it it uh, it kind of launched a little bit early. So it's on my phone. I do have it. I haven't logged into it yet um, online on the on the on. Uh, online yet. So, but I do have threads because again, that's part of my business. If something doesn't work with Twitter. So Rick, it's funny. I I went to my tweet deck on Monday and I looked, I'm like, what the hell is this? I, I guess I got to go add custom decks to it. Now, if you don't, I haven't done any of this. I did tweet yesterday. I tweeted a link to a story I wrote yesterday, but um, I've not done anything else with it. So I've not looked at any mentions. I can't look at that. I can't look at timeline. I can look at nothing. What, what is your, what is, what is your tweet deck look like at the moment? It's ruined. It's done. Okay. I mean, it won't update columns anymore because I won't either. Yeah, Have you they, tried to customize it. It looked like it said you can customize. Yes. Yeah, I've got I've got it all set up how I how I would have had it set up before too. I so how did you get that. questions for today? Um. So I I mean you I can still see my mentions especially if I go on okay. like my phone and look at okay. the app and mentions. But yeah, actual, you're right. I can see them on my. You're right. I, I can still see them on my phone. You're right about that part. 
Yeah, the actual tweet deck, though, which is like, an, if you don't know what we're talking about here, there's Twitter.com. And then if you went to tweetdeck.twitter.com, yeah. there's a whole nother app where for journalists, it's great because you can set up like search things and have these live columns that are just a live feed. And I'll tell you, Skinny, for over 10 years now, I mean, maybe longer, I have never opened up my laptop or any computer that I'm using without immediately pulling up a web browser and putting TweetDeck up. I mean, it's just constantly on my computer at home running 24-7. I, I, it is truly a new era for me not having TweetDeck going at all times. It, it's very strange. Well, it will be interesting for those people that like to, to, to steal tweets from, from live events and, and use them for their own. It'd be really interesting to see how that's going to work out for people when you can't do that any longer. I do wonder that what like all the aggregators and there are a lot of people who just constantly sit on there and wait for other people's tweets and information. And that's other how people's they do a, work. A lot other of their stuff. Work. Yeah, I, I don't I really don't know what's going to happen with that. And even from our perspective, like. There was always this feeling of if something you knew news was coming down the pipeline or a pipeline or it could be that you were constantly looking, checking tweet deck, checking your different search columns, seeing, oh, did something come out about this yet? Is that just gone now? Like, I don't know how to monitor something like that anymore. The story I read on on Monday initially, which said that if you were verified, um, uh, which meant you paid. Uh, you could see 6,000 tweets a day. And if not, you could see 600. And initially I went, well, that's not, I don't read 600 tweets a day. Then I came to realize, oh, it's talking about on your timeline. If you scroll down 600 tweets worth on your time, even if there's ones you don't even want to see, that's going to count. Yeah. I was Which like, completely the tweets you called up. I thought, I don't, I call up eight tweets a day if I'm lucky to call up a story or something like that. I don't, I see them on my timeline, but I don't, but if that counts towards your total, see you later, guy. Yeah, it it makes it completely useless. Also, the fact that like TweetDeck, you can't be logged into multiple accounts at the same time and and none of those extra columns will update anymore. I mean, it's all completely useless for me at this point in terms of what I was using it for. So I'm really uh, not interested. Yeah, I'm really not interested in threads. I really, truly am not. It's probably going to be, I just, I don't know. Maybe Twitter was just too easy to use and that, that was part of the problem. I, I know a lot of people hate it, and a lot of people are going to say good riddance. And certainly, I say good riddance. Listen, my life—I had like—I lived a pretty damn long time before Twitter came along, and I was okay without it. Trust me. Yeah, and and I totally get that. And there are a lot of aspects of it from a professional standpoint where I'm like, oh, it'd be kind of nice if all this stuff just actually went away. The problem for me is I don't think it's going away. I think something will yeah, come back in the picture. We'll have to do some type of live microblogging or reporting, which will be annoying. And now we're just starting all over and, and yeah, you lose your thing. followers and you lose all that. So I loved Twitter. I mean, in, in terms of the social media apps, it was by far my favorite, but I really do think it might be done. I mean, it is, it's completely useless right now. Yeah. I, I don't know what my man's trying to do. I mean, and honestly, I told people, you know, maybe he figured out it is not, you cannot monetize it. And if that's the case, I'm not blaming anybody. If you bought something and you failed, couldn't figure out a way to monetize it. doesn't mean you got to keep losing money on the prospect of it. That just seems insane for something that's like well, I'll be honest that many you, people use that you can't make money out of it. It seemed insane that newspapers would ever go out of business too. That's true. But but newspapers are like the issue for newspapers was they became big corporations. I still think there's a business model that works for local news if they're small, independent, hyper-local yeah, probably. Yeah, news organizations. Probably. The problem is it became Gannett owning all of them. Yeah, correct. And there's too much waste there. Yeah. I think I, – I, you know, I don't think Twitter is in that position. That was – well, that that was the position they were in before Musk took over, but now he's just been firing people left and right. So you would think you'd be able to trim the fat there and make it profitable, but maybe not. Yeah, to answer the question though, yes, I've I've gotten threads, and it's actually more of a necessity than a desire. By far. I, I I just looked you up on there and didn't saw that you weren't actually active yet. So I'll, I'll be yeah, anxiously okay. awaiting the opportunity yeah, to follow you. Can't, can't wait. Thank you. I'll follow you too, Rick. When I figure out how to log in. Okay. That's all I got for today. All right, good stuff. Thanks for the questions. We'll be back next week. Thanks for being with us. This has been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope Reed edition presented by Blake, the Attorney Maisel.